Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna turn into a giant fucking robot thing. <laughs> robot human. Robot human. <laughs> robot human. Robot human. Okay, chill. <laughs> so welcome to episode three. Oh fuck, I forgot the name of the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to episode three of Stuck in the Stuck Middle with the You. Stuck in the Middle with You. Podcast. Starring Quan and Derek, the forgetful fucking person who I'm talking to at this moment, apparently. How embarrassing. That's pretty bad. So yes, welcome to episode three of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see what side of the consensus they fall on. Like this one just said, my name is Derek Gade. His name is Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hi. Whoops. It's okay. It's okay that you you don't know the name of our podcast. I'd also like to specify that by critically divisive, we mean films on Rotten Tomatoes with 50%. That's right. So that means half of the critics pulled for the score, liked the film, and the other half did not. Uh, So last week, Juan picked Annie. This week... 1982 edition of Annie, specifically. That's right. Specifically, the one directed by John Huston, which, if you recall, we both gave rotten ratings to. Yeah, because we weren't fans of it. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. This time contrary around, contrary to like everyone's weird nostalgic love for it. This time around, it was my pick. I picked Hardware, directed by Richard Stanley, released in 1990. Which I was like, admittedly, kind of dreading to watch because of the horrible, horrible poster. But weirdly enough, I actually enjoyed myself All right, yeah. much more than I expected to. So hardware is I guess you would call it not even not really a cyberpunk movie, kind of. More like a splatterpunk movie. More like just a, a nasty, dirty, grungy little piece of splatterpunk filmmaking from the UK. It's actually really like it's really unsettling how well he does at making things look incredibly unappealing while also like sliding into some really really solid beautiful beautiful moments like i want to point out right off the bat is you've got like before sort of the initial credits you have like sort of a like a flash of a blowtorch like a welding torch and like severe cutting look away if you're like bothered by quick series of flashing lights and uh, loud noises because this starts off uh, with lots of flashing lights and loud noises. Yeah, the whole movie really like does a number on you if you have any kind of issues with flashing lights. Yeah, it's rough. Like even for me, who doesn't typically get bothered like by that, it was it was rough. It's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, but it's not the easiest thing to to watch. <laughs> and then right after that sort of assault on the senses. We segue into this very sort of calming, soothing, post-apocalyptic desert straight out of, like, Mad Max or something. And it has the most gorgeous, gorgeous, like, red, red, red palette of color. It's so it's so warm and beautiful. And, like, the sort of aesthetic that the world presents, not just in that scenario, but also um, as soon as they reach, like, the apartment where most of the film takes place, it doesn't feel like a calculated world that's being presented but it's so well crafted and like on a seemingly low budget it feels very lived in it feels 
I don't want to say that it's tossed off because it sort of doesn't do justice to like the craft of like the production design, set design on display, but it does have a sort of whatever we have available quality to it that reflects, I guess, the kind of post-apocalyptic society that that Richard Stanley is trying to depict in this film. Absolutely, and it's very, very claustrophobic. Most of the film takes place within uh, an apartment, which, just to give like a general plot description, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, Dylan McDermott is a uh, like post-apocalyptic scavenger who selling metal for scrap. Yeah, and he brings home this cyborg skull for his metal sculptor girlfriend, who is like incredibly badass and is the main character of the movie i i, I want to emphasize how important stacy travis is yeah, stacy travis is credited second but this is her movie yeah. i mean this is this isn't really the the uh dylan mcdermott show <laughs> yeah the moment he reaches her house it basically becomes her show and um she sort of just makes it into this cool piece of art and I'd everything's like to, fine and dandy <laughs> i'd like to point out that the uh like when she's initially making the sculpture the the band ministry is playing but they cut to a tv that shows gore for some reason really see yeah. those are the little things i wouldn't have noticed i loved every time they cut to the television though i will yeah, say it wasn't like fucking videodrome shit where they were showing like torture and just dudes in ridiculous metal outfit uh, metal outfits yeah so once she makes her little artwork the fucking cyborg skull reassembles itself and goes and on a fucking murderous rampage. Yeah, just to kill her. <laughs> Here's the thing. This movie was banned. Like It wasn't banned in England, but it got the X rating back when that was still a thing. Really? Because for, uh, and I quote, excessive gore. And for the first <laughs> for the first two-thirds of the movie, I'm like, this is nonsense that this movie got an X rating for gore. I mean, this is nonsense. And then Nothing the gore happens like, then, in the first. And then the gore happens, and I'm like, oh, that's why it got an X. But even then, it's not like I, – I mean maybe by our standards, it's not particularly like no, it's filled. No, but it's – it's when it happens, it's pretty wet. <laughs> I mean, that's true. When, uh, when William, shit goes down. Yeah, when <laughs> William Hootkins goes into the apartment and gets, uh, shall we say, confronted by the by this, uh, evil cyborg, then you realize why it got the X rating. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, it's, which it's William Hootkin is um he's like this creep next door who's been watching her every single day for like years. To total skeezy voyeur type. Yeah, it's like honestly the most disgusting thing every single time he's in frame. Yeah. Yeah, and that includes his 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 uh, demise at the hands of the Mark 13. Yes, the Mark 13, the military's most ferocious biomechanical combat droid. That yeah, just so happens to like get fucked up with moisture. <laughs> Yeah, which is, yeah, let's not get into the details of the air is like mostly water anyway and it works fine. Yeah. It's like Whatever. signs all over again. I know. It's okay. <laughs> but um I'd like to point out that Icky Pop is indeed in this movie but only as a disembodied voice as Angry Bob, the man with the industrial dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally how he introduces himself and like in, in it's kind true. of its own way. In kind of its own way, it's kind of like encompasses the tone of the film. Which is kind of goofy and nihilistic, but kind of aggressive. Yeah. Because, yeah, Iggy Pop isn't in this movie. But there's a couple of other rock star cameos in this film. Uh, the, which you would know. Which Lemmy I would know. Lemmy of Motorhead. Lemmy of Motorhead, who plays a aqua taxi driver, who turns on Motorhead's Ace of Spades in the taxi. And I'm like, that's not cute. That's not 
Clever. That's totally cute. Shut up. What the hell? You're such a hater. No, it could have been literally any other song you had to put on fucking Ace of Spades. Why couldn't it have been any other Motorhead song? It's always Ace of Spades. I don't I don't care, Derek. <laughs> I I care. I know you do. And that's and okay. The the dude at the beginning? Uh, the guy who kind of reminds me of the alchemist from a field in England? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a dude named Carl McCoy. He's credited as Nomad. He's the uh, lead singer, uh, frontman of a goth of a British Gothic rock band called Fields of the Nephilim. Wow! Uh, and uh, he's also sense. he also shows up in Dust Devil, uh, Richard Stanley's film that he made after uh, Hardware. So a lot of a lot of rock and roll cameos in this film. Most of which I would not have known about outside of like Iggy Pop because Derek is the go-to for rock and dad roll rock nonsense. Thing. <laughs> Again, to what to what extent like Fields of Nephilim and and Motorhead are dad rock? I don't know. I mean, I just general general you and rock is called dad rock for me. Oh eh, so, well, yeah, that's that's yeah. that's that's more that's more of a me thing than it is a them thing. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. So you had mentioned that this movie's palette uses a lot of red. It also uses a lot of radioactive, toxic greens. Yes, also blue, really, really nicely. Yeah, it's, um, it also uses sort of the uh, sort of seventies styled pixelated RoboVision. Yes, that it uses it very, very, very often. Like coupled with like sort of night vision and thermal vision, and in art generally, there's cool ways to date yourself. Like if you're in a rock band, you use twin lead guitars, or you use old synthesizers, or something to date your sound to make it sound cool. In movies like this, you use like shit like this to make because this is something that reminded me of a movie called westworld movie from the 70s that michael crichton did where yul brenner plays a robot cowboy who goes haywire and starts murdering people at a resort right Mm -hmm. like yul brenner's robovision in that movie kind of reminded me like that i was reminded of that when seeing the robovision in this film but it's also kind of it's in my head this works as sort of a westworld meets terminator kind of deal yeah, see, I haven't seen Westworld, so that comparison point is mildly lost to me. But Terminator especially, you can see a lot of influence from that. And I don't know, just the way that it presents this woman sort of trying to escape from a machine trying to kill her, or cyborg, human-ish cyborg trying to kill her, reminds me a lot of not just the Terminator itself, but rather the Terminator 2 what I really like about the film is the way it like it's sort of introduced to you as it's going to be Dylan McDermott's story, but like it so quickly transforms into a very like similar thing from most uh, horror and uh, sci-fi movies of the like sort of decades predating this and the decade it's in, which is like a woman stuck in this sort of situation against a being that wants to kill what her. What, but it what, does you're, it so what you're describing well. basically is slasher films. Yeah, basically any slasher film. Not any, but a lot. Well, because well, <laughs> it kind of it does this sort of like genre bait and switch where it starts off as like sort of a post-apocalyptic semi-adventure film and then goes into this relationship drama then becomes a slasher film. Yeah. So I think that's and pretty cool. And it becomes cool. a final girl slasher film to a certain extent. Basically, except... Uh, with occasional jump-ins and other things involved. Just <laughs> it's 
here's here's what my favorite thing is about how sort of nimbly it manages to juggle tone because on the one hand it's a very silly film this is after all a movie where in a character's fridge there's something called synth milk and lactoplasm <laughs> i really liked that i thought that was very funny and it'll it also is. it'll also have a scene where fucking lemmy plays a cab driver and he'll turn on the radio and hey it's ace of spades hey you should listen to this this is really good yeah but it's also a very kind of slimy crusty movie that'll have like some Lucio Fulci style eyeball penetration and lots of just practical blood splattering everywhere. It's 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 nasty, but it's funny, but not like haha funny. It's like it's it's knowing. It's like it's but it's not winking. See, that's yeah. It's tone juggling. It's is really really good because it never gets too silly or too like sort of self serious. It's it walks at like the razor's edge oh, as far as tone is concerned. And I mean, speaking of the the sort of body horror aspect of it, there's a scene where a character just sort of like starts cutting into their body to like take out a, a poison that's been injected into them, presumably. You know and what? It's just so. Hmm. Well, go on. No, it's just so fucking like. Like yes, it's a little dated, but it's so visceral to watch that scene happen, especially with the effects that come with it immediately after, because there's sort of a like a hallucinogenic in the poison. Yeah, and that like, whole that whole thing reminded me of Ken Russell. And yes, I absolutely. Love, I'm I so love, glad. I love Ken Russell movies because I love Ken Russell's hallucination sequences. There's always because they're at le- magnificent, and there's, there's always one. <laughs> there's always at least one. Every Ken Russell movie. And I know, I haven't seen true. I haven't seen like Valentino or anything. But, but I assume there would be. One. I assume there would be at least <laughs> one. You know who else is in Valentino? William Hootkins. Oh, it was I was gonna be like Dylan McDermott? <laughs> oh, it was a movie from 1977. I, think. I know. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, William Hootkins plays Fatty Arbuckle in that movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. So there's like sort of another strobe light sequence, but my favorite part of that hallucination sequence is just like the random zoom ins into Mandelbrot sets. Yes. Yes. That was really neat. <laughs> that was just, I did not expect that to happen whatsoever. That is a really, that's a really dorky thing to like, but I thought that was really cool. <laughs> oh, it was really, really cool. I'm so glad we both we both feel this way about this movie. <laughs> no flesh shall be spared. You know how you know um, a horror film or a science fiction film is going to be good? Is that they start off with a Bible quotation. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no. no, not always. Trust well, me. Not always. I, 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 I like the I like the spirit of that. I like the sort of wrath of God in genre film. That, that's fair, but remember how many like potentially shitty like exorcism movies presumably would have uh, that. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, you know what that blood red, blood green, blood blue palette reminded me of? Another movie mm-hmm. that I know we both like. Night of the I'm Comet. Here. Oh. Night, Night of the <laughs> Comet, dude. Um yeah, actually the Reds especially. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a movie with like sort of this sort of not not quite neon, but very powerfully colored palette. You've got a strong female pat- protagonist. You've got an apocalyptic setting, kind of a close kinship between these two movies. But no, I definitely of, agree with that. Uh, but you know, this movie has like sort of punk and metal, whereas uh, Night of the Common has like sort of you know '80s pop rock. So mm. that's maybe where there's a difference. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's no way that the people who made Night of the Comet couldn't have gotten the actual rights to Girls Just Want to Have Fun instead of playing like no. a like a cheapo knockoff version of it. 
I'm still delighted by the fact that they didn't do that, but whatever. Mm-hmm. That's like, <laughs> it that's, makes more sense in this like a, apocalyptic future. I guess so. I mean, I would, I'd be listening to like Motorhead and Ministry. Like, I'd be listening to a lot of Ministry if we were in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. I wouldn't. I'd be listening to like pop shit. I don't know. Would, you not, li- would you not listen to like... <laughs> You can listen to Katy Perry. I'm gonna jam "Jesus Build My Hot Rod" because that's a great song. Michelle and I will be like riding on like motorcycles to like Katy Perry's "Roar" or something. I don't know. "Jesus Build My Hot Rod," man, that's a great tune. <laughs> okay, whatever. We'll let other people decide this for. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> but, is this um, like an, an, an like is this like an unofficial poll? It's like, which song is better, "Roar" by Katy Perry or "Jesus Built My Hot Rod" by Ministry? <laughs> I want to specify that the situation we would be in is like riding motorcycles in a post-apocalyptic future, potentially killing other people, potentially not. I could see where Roar would have a certain appeal, but I think that Jesus Built by Hot Rod would be tailor-made for that. I don't know. I just want to be able to like, you gotta hear me roar. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like that would be a lot more fun. It'd probably be more fun. But I That's think the thing. Jesus, I want a fun post-apocalyptic future. I think I think Jesus Bill My Hot Rod would be more appropriate. You just want a badass post-apocalyptic future. I want a fun one. Why can't they be both? <laughs> because I said so. Anyway, I mean, I mean, you've seen the road. <laughs> you've seen the Road Warrior. I mean, come I on. Have, but whatever. Road, the Road Warrior might as well have been, you know, scored by Ministry or something, or by some fucking Titanic riff rock thing. I don't know. One last thing I want to say specifically for me about uh, Richard Stanley in general is he has like such a mastery over playing with with lighting and shadows and framing. I was really I was not expecting that from like this like low budget fucking movie with a really awkward poster, but if it's just master, so gorgeously you, shot. If you master light, you master tone. You don't need money to figure out that shadows work. Oh, no, it's absolutely true. And he really works so well with lighting and shadows in this movie. Like, constantly, constantly, you'll have characters just in, like, pure darkness with this one little bit of light. And I love every time somebody's looking through something, they have just a bit of light on their eye. And it's such, like, a simple little thing that, like, whatever, so many filmmakers have fucking done that. But it just looks good in this in this world, I guess. I don't if know. If you don't have as much money, you're kind of forced to be craftier. And since, since Richard Stanley tends to work smaller, I mean, his movies are really crafty. Mm-hmm. Well, at least the movies of his that I've seen. Yeah. Which uh, is two. Which is two, this one and Dust Devil. And I still uh, have, I've seen one. Hooray. <laughs> Let's see. What else do I have here? Uh, I only have one other sort of stray note here. They have Schlitz brand beer in the fridge. Really? Yep. I never – see, I didn't notice that. See, these are the things you'd notice. I'll pick up on like stray little things like that. that I mean don't... I do too sometimes, but this like this wasn't one of those. I just <laughs> thought it was comical because, you know, like just the cities have clearly been raised to the ground. Everyone is sort of, you know, scraping for like food, shelter. It's And there's like, you know, pristine cans of Schlitz beer in the fridge with the lactoplasm and the, and the synth milk. God. Oh, uh, one other thing that I really like, there's this one shot that, like, I almost want to, like, pretend that Jim Jarmusch saw this movie and stole it for Only Lovers Left Alive. There's this one shot, there's this one shot where fucking, uh, Jill's laying in bed and she's, like, it's just slowly, slowly, slowly spinning, like, just spinning like a record above her. 
and then it fades from from her on the bed into the 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 helmet of the the cyborg helmet and i was right, just right. like the first thing that came to my mind was the same one of the sort of the, opening shots of only lovers, only lovers where yeah. the thing is like the record is cutting to the to the spinning in the bed and the record in the bed and i just like i know i'm sure other people have used this like a thousand times before but it was just such a distinct distinct shot to me and even her like positioning and everything i don't know it reminded me of that a lot <laughs> i do want to single out william hootkin's death sequence your favorite thing not necessarily my favorite thing but as like a really visceral kind of really wet disposing <laughs> if you're a gore hound probably not because the whole thing is like shrouded in just sort of darkness but it's it kind of reminded me in a really, really strange way in the way it was executed and lit. Uh, it reminded me of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, I can totally see that. When Leatherface chainsaws the dude in the wheelchair in the stomach, mm-hmm. as like that reminded me of the scene where where William Hootkins gets the business in this film. Yeah, and there's I think there's a, a similar kind of textual grime in the film, but. Uh, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's kind of like a, a, a an Americana gone wrong, like a backwoods a USA gone wrong. Whereas this is clearly like a kind of, you know, post-apocalyptic tech- future tech gone wrong. Exactly. And I found it really interesting that this film was released in, I believe, August 1990, and that Margaret Thatcher, the British Prime Minister for most of the 1980s, uh, left office two months after this film was released. So I thought that. This kind of weird splatterpunk, post-apocalyptic, basically fuck you to, you know, I guess society as a whole. Because it's not a subtle film by any stretch of the imagination. At but all. I felt I felt like it was sort of a fitting send-off to a Thatcherism. I can dig it. I mean, I it certainly know. makes sense for the, the time period and the, the country it was made in. Not to mention that would add to a certain, like, that would add an interesting extra level to the fact that it was banned, even though it's, like, claimed to be for gore purposes. Like, um, I don't think they banned it because of political subtext, because the, political, you know? because the political subtext in this is so so service level and kind of knuckle-dragging, because, spoiler alerts for hardware, the Mark 13s are basically engineered by the government to kill people for purposes of population Population control. control. Because... Everyone is irradiated and everyone being born is like – has like, you know, problems. So yeah. – but if it's like start to think about it too much, it doesn't make any sense for a government to kill its own people when they're already dying out anyway, when it's already so scarcely populated. But that's not really – let's not think about it too hard. Yeah, it's not like, because that it's would not, ruin it a little bit. <laughs> it's not like – it's not like Annie's politics where it's like front and center. This is something that you have to sort of dig at. I'm more willing to forgive yeah. hardware because it's such – it's not – sort of a serious film and doesn't it's not a message movie even though it has an sensible message or moral in quotes in like several pairs of quotes because it's, it ultimately is a very nihilistic nihilistic film but i'm only more willing to forgive the sort of political weirdness of this movie because it's so cartoonish whereas the whereas annie is a bit more sort of it feels really, like really overwhelming with its politics yeah well it's kind of like like i think people think that annie is all american but i don't think that people think that hardware is like a very sort of you know hail britannia you know it's not it's not at all because it it was shot in london but there's this it's it's like a no man's land i mean people of all kinds of races and and um 
financial backgrounds because everyone's fucking poor mm-hmm. are living in the same area. So it's but it might as well have been England in the eighties, right? Yeah, honestly, I mean, if you watch the movie, you wouldn't be able to notice. No. Let's be real. There's uh, one. There's one line in the film that I really like. It's just said late in the movie by uh, the the older gentleman who's playing chess with the younger gentleman, mm-hmm. and he says, "Machines don't understand sacrifice, and neither do morons." Oh my god! That's my log. <laughs> that's my log line for the film. That's my favorite line. I I like that. It's it, it was one of the lines that stood out to me the most, and I, it sort of plays into the way the the narrative unfolds a little bit. Um. I was actually expecting it to have like a heavier theme, but no, it's like know. a it's like a splatterpunk goof off. It's yeah, it's 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 a blast. It's just really fun. It's true. It really is. And with that, I think we both can agree that we would both happily consider it fresh. Fresh, recommended. Yeah, absolutely recommended. And it this is. is coming from someone who is dreading it. So it was really fun from top to bottom. It has great style. It has great uh, a great look, a great feel to it. It is cool. It is cheesy. It is weird. It is it's a weird little beast that moves in weird ways, but it's really it's really exhilarating. And it's only like ninety some odd minutes, so it's not like you'd be wasting a lot of time even if you didn't like it. But it's a very it, fun, dirty, weird movie that it cu- yeah, it costs you nothing. Yeah, it just works so well. It works so much better than I ever expected it to, and it actually made me very much look forward to his uh, his second movie. And more importantly, it made me wonder why Richard Stanley didn't have like as big a career as some of his contemporaries who worked within this sort of like action sci fi horror type world, who went on to greater like bigger and better things. I have an answer and for that. Yes, question. you do. Richard Stanley was initially tied to direct the uh, ill-fated Island of Dr. Morrow remake uh, from the mid-90s, the one that starred Marlon Brando. Apparently that whole uh, production was famously troubled and ran way over budget and was just terrible, and Richard Stanley was ousted. And that was was his big – that was to be his sort of – his big Hollywood feature, and it was not to be – it's it's kind of like it's kind of like Jodorowsky's Dune in that way. It's such a shame, and they're both like. Uh, Richard Stanley is stories, in Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, I know, which is actually a really interesting point, considering you know, both of their films were destroyed. With it, with this should be a doc. Is there a documentary about his failed production? Uh, the documentary is called Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Morrow. He's still credited as a co-writer, but that was to be. His film. And uh, the documentary was released in August of last year at the London Fright Fest Film Festival. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there is a documentary chronicling that fucked up production. I'd love to see that. So you should check that out, I think. I should make that my recommendation, even though I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you do have a recommendation that you have seen. I do have a recommendation. There's what a film it? from 1990 that features... Sofia Coppola dying, and it's called The Godfather Part 3. But that's not my actual recommendation. My actual recommendation is a Total Recall because oh, it, it, yes. it takes – it's the same year. It's a future film as well, and it is such a fun goddamn action movie, that and movie I love it. so good. It's like 
It's like a little matryoshka doll. It's like a Marxist social critique inside sort of a sci-fi mind melter inside of an action blockbuster. It's so good. It is so good. And that's why I respect Paul Verhoeven so much, even though a lot of people don't really like – I don't know. I feel like he's like – I don't want to call him like an underrated filmmaker because his films are incredibly popular. But like I feel like he's not as respected because of the fact that he made like – Semi trashy ish American productions like here's, you know here, uh, Showgirls and Basic Instinct, RoboCop, RoboCop, yeah, like RoboCop is so good, so good. RoboCop is good. They're all so f- everything he makes is so fun. Like I stand by Showgirls. I don't care what anyone says, but yes, I stand Showgirls, by him as being such a great filmmaker. Showgirls is crazy. <laughs> It is. It, it is, is a wild piece of work. And what I like about Paul Verhoeven, if we could just take five seconds to talk about Paul Verhoeven real we quick, absolutely is, can. is all of his American movies are like really, really violent and really, really like sort of gratuitous and and oh, they're absolutely like gratuitous is the exact word I would pick to describe Paul Verhoeven's American career. But every successive one is like, okay, you guys didn't get it the first time. I'm going to put more of it, so maybe you'll catch on. And ultimately, that culminated with Starship Troopers, which is excessively violent and almost like sort of knuckle-draggingly obvious in its sort of you know propaganda symbolism. But people still thought that it was a fascistic film, that it condoned sort of fascism. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, are you guys all nuts? Did you see the they same movies the as me? They missed I mean, the point. That's not just a couple critics, don't... though. It's not just I know. A no, I hope I it's know. It's everyone. That I know. movie that movie killed NC-17 action movies. We will never see another NC-17 action movie, and that sucks. Very sadly. But, you know, what are you going to do about it? Uh, bitch and moan on this podcast, I guess? Absolutely. <laughs> That's what it's here for. Um, but I, I believe you have a recommendation that I cannot provide to this podcast. Uh, well, I've already name-dropped this movie several times in this podcast. My recommendation is Richard Stanley's follow-up to Hardware. 1992's Dust Devil. Apparently, it was described by someone as Tarkovsky on acid, and I could probably get behind that. It has a sort of meditative, contemplative quality. It's very elemental in the way that Tarkovsky's movies were. Uh, it's not as sort of psychologically complex, but it's uh, it's a lot more sort of visceral in its in its uh, horrifying implications. So yeah, the, basically the whole uh, the movie is set in the Namibian desert and it involves malevolent spirits who fuck with your mind and um yeah it's really good it's really it's 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 uh like hardware it's a very singular unique film lots of great desert photography lots of uh sort of mis- uh, mysticism interwoven into the plot like local mysticism because we're talking about sort of uh african folk because uh mr stanley is uh african <laughs> he was born in south uh, south africa hmm but you know what I would like to see Richard Stanley do now that I think about it? I know his like career has been like mostly in documentaries and like a short a couple TV of shorts, shorts yeah. in bad things, but um or seemingly bad things. I would I like just from the description of Dust Devil and Hardware, I think I would be really interested in seeing him adapt uh Stephen King's The Dark Tower. Mm. I have no idea if you've read it or not, but I like I, I feel not. I don't know. It seems like like I, there's been so many discussions. I would like to see him. I would like to see him do that. I think he would be great for the gunslinger. But whatever. Anyway, that's just like me thinking aloud. No, that's fine. I mean, you can think aloud. <laughs> um. So yeah, should we should we reveal what we're gonna do 
next week. Next my week. super, super exciting pick for Derek because well, it's I not really, am... it's not really a pick for me. It's for both of us. We both have to watch this film. Now, the Listen, way we do, I'm more than willing to watch this film. Multiple... Hold on, hold I've on. seen this film multiple let, times. Let me set this up. So the way we do this is that we started off with a movie we both agreed on. We're trading off. So since I picked Hardware, Juan gets his crack at a movie at rated at 50 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Juan, what have you chosen for the next podcast festivities? Well, I, I'd like to give a little background for <laughs> for my choice. There was a fantastic television series on HBO from 1998 to 2004. Four years later, after the show finished and everyone got their pretty much happy ending, a wonderful <laughs> movie came out. You're not talking about Arliss, are you? No, oh. I'm not. Mm. Are you talking about The Sopranos? I don't know. No, that's that's not the show I'm talking about. Mm. It's not The Wire either. That's not The Wire, no. No. Um, the show I'm talking about is the fabulous Sarah Jessica Parker, Kim Cattrall, Kristen <laughs> Davis, Cynthia Nixon starring Sex and the City. I like how fast you rattle off those names. I'm very good at that. <laughs> so, I'm yeah, next. My tongue. <laughs> Let's so, set things up for the next show. So sex yeah, next time we got we're, we're doing Sex in the City next time, folks. We're doing sex in the City, mind you. I wanna I wanna specify. I've seen every single episode of Sex in the City multiple times. I've seen the movie multiple times. I've seen the movie like the second movie, which is like a horrid piece of shit, multiple times as well. Derek has like I maybe never, seen a couple of episodes. Let me let me expose what I've been exposed to. I have never seen a complete episode of Sex in the City. I've seen sort of snatches of episodes. I I have not seen either feature feature length film. I'm kind of worried that the thing runs two and a half hours long. Which is like the most like <laughs> I don't remember it being that long and I think it's like the most unnecessary. I'm assuming that this is going to be kind of a light comedy. Light comedies don't Somewhat. usually run two and a half hours long. No, it has a lot of drama and and heart to it you'll see you'll find I, out i next, guess i will next time. i guess i will <laughs> so yeah so, tune in next time sex in the city directed by michael patrick king it's gonna be it's gonna be weird <laughs> it's gonna be so fun i'm so excited all right <laughs> all right so that's it i think we've done everything we were supposed to do so yes, we... uh yeah see you in two weeks see ya hi there everybody Derek here Man, that sure was an awesome podcast, wasn't it? Well, if you're interested in hearing more episodes, you can go ahead and subscribe to Stuck in the Middle with You on iTunes. Just search for Stuck in the Middle with You on the iTunes podcast store and you're bound to find us. You should also check out the show's webpage, sitmwy.tumblr.com. There you'll find links to our RSS feed and all sorts of other cool shit, including Juan and I's website, dimthehouselights.com. That's where most of our film's criticism goes. We also write for other websites. I'm a contributor to Sound on Sight. One contributes to the Miami New Times and Yam Mag. On the Tumblr page, you can also find links to both our Twitter and Letterbox accounts. I'm on both websites at Derek underscore G, and Juan is on both those websites at Woe It's Juanito. That's W-O-A-H It's Juanito altogether. So again, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around, and thank you for being a friend.